from the Faculty of Graduate Studies at York University, this is Grad Life. I'm Will Sloan. Marshall McLuhan once said that radio contracts the world to village size. I probably shouldn't quote him without adding that he had some ambivalence about this, but in a small village in rural Ethiopia, we find the pedagogical and community-building potential of radio in action. Helen Claire Andrus is a York Development Studies master's candidate who has conducted fieldwork in Ethiopia and became immersed in how radio has been used to connect farmers with important information. What is Asosa FM? Yeah, so Asosa FM is a regional radio station um, in Ethiopia and quite a few uh, sub-Saharan African countries. Radio is one of the main ways of communicating. And Asosa FM is the regional radio station for much of central western Ethiopia. How did you find out about it? I found out about it through an NGO called Farm Radio International, which is based in Ottawa when I was doing my field work for my personal graduate thesis in Addis Ababa, uh, I was connected to someone who works at Farm Radio and they offered me the opportunity to go with them for one of their field visits. Uh, Asosa FM is one of their regional partners for some of the Farm Radio programs they do uh, and I would go with them and in exchange for helping with their programs there and uh, kind of interviewing people for them, they would help me with my own interviews for my own research. And what is the mission of this nonprofit? I mean, I guess there's a sense that uh, community radio is community building, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. The mission of the organization is to really just kind of help people learn about new farming techniques. Um, In a lot of places in the world, not just Western Ethiopia, but many places, uh, farming has been practiced the same way for hundreds, hundreds of years. And the land, and especially with climate change nowadays, the land is kind of wearing down and it's not so simple to just keep these same practices. So uh, a lot of what they do is educational programs on uh, ways to improve crops, outputs, uh, even things like nutrition and how to diversify your uh, nutritional intake. So instead of just growing corn, they'll grow corn, potatoes, sorghum, different kinds of beets, that type of thing, um, so they can expand it for their family and their community. And it's done through community groups. So instead of listening with your personal radio at home, they get together once a week with all the local farmers all in one region, and then they can discuss after the program on how they might want to implement all the things that they've learned together. Interesting. Where's the program broadcasting from? So the uh, program is broadcast from the Asosa station. Um, The way that Farm Radio does is they plan their broadcasts centrally, but because there's so many regional languages and because uh, everything and even dialects between different countries and areas, uh, they partner with the community radio stations and someone from that radio station will translate and will broadcast it there. I guess I was curious if it was like like a 24-hour radio station or no, something that come, no. comes every now and then. Yeah, yeah, no, they don't have a lot of capacity for something like that that would be broadcasting 24 hours. Uh, in the case of the Asosa radio station, and I think this is pretty much the standard way they do things, it's twice a week, uh, like Thursday evenings and Friday mornings, so that depending on what the farmer's schedule is, they can find some time to listen to it between the two. So how much time have you spent in Ethiopia? I Only just this summer, um, the three months that I was there for my own field work. What was it like? 
Ethiopia is a beautiful country. There is a lot of history there. I think that if anybody is interested in um, a lot like ancient history or in just seeing a lot of where humanity, they, they talk about how Ethiopia is like the seat of humanity because the oldest, some of the oldest human skeletons have been found there in the eastern part of the country and uh, coffee was discovered there. So we have a lot to thank for them. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Ethiopia has got so much rich history. And so if you're interested in history, it's a great place to go. Where did you stay? Uh, most of my time I was spent in Addis Ababa. I lived in just a Airbnb guest house. And uh, yeah, I did my, my field work uh, centrally around the NGOs that were working there. So You wrote an article about your experience, which I'll link to in the program notes. A lot of it is built around a particular family and in particular mm-hmm. a woman named America Asrasi. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing yeah, that. That's okay. <laughs> um, what were your experiences like with her and, and yeah. who is she? So she is a listener of the farm radio program. She lives in a com- community called Bambasi, um, which is outside of Asosa. One of the things that Farm Radio does is they like to understand how their um, radio programs are really helping people and impacting families. So the way they do that a lot uh, is doing these one-on-one interviews as opposed to they start with big group interviews and then they kind of identify a couple people who maybe are you know more chatty or willing to speak about these things. America was one of them. In the community group that I witnessed, um, she was super energetic about talking about these things. She was clearly very excited about all of the things she had learned and she kept talking about in in that interview she kept saying I want to learn more about how I can help my community through this I want to learn more about how we can support each other Um, so when we did the one-on-one interview with her she took us to her home which was not too far from where we were and so her house is two clay huts with straw roofs, straw thatched roofs, and surrounded by her plot of land. Uh, And her whole family was there, which was her mother-in-law and her five children. But uh, her husband had left five years before, so I think that that experience had made her really more energetic about uh, being part of the community. And that was something that I really wanted to ask her and invite more conversation about because she was clearly so enthusiastic about the role the community can play for these farmers and I think that that was said a lot about her as a person and what what she recognized as important from from these uh, radio programs and I got the sense that she learned a lot from the radio programs right absolutely yeah so one of the big things that she said she learned just in terms of what has helped her output um, was intercropping which is a technique where you'll mix two crops in the same plot of land as opposed to just having one and actually one will fertilize the other. So even if you're not using the one main, the one crop, the fact that it's growing next to corn will actually help fertilize the soil for corn where it doesn't work for many plants because a lot of the time they are fighting for the nutrients in the soil, but sometimes the nutrients that one plant creates actually goes to support the other. So one of the things she's learned and one of the things that has really helped her corn output is this intercropping technique where this little plant, I don't remember what it was, but it was a, lo- it was a local plant and she would put it uh, every few feet in between her corn plants and it actually made them grow very, very tall and it like, like her corn, she had multiple ears of corn per stalk, and yeah. You mentioned climate change. What are some of the ways that farming in Ethiopia is different than it would have been 20 years ago? I think one of the main things is the soil is just really worn out, and it's not being given the ample or correct amount of time and um, environment to reproduce. I mean, everyone's heard of the 
famine in the 80s. And famine is not uncommon or unheard of in Ethiopia, but in most cases, it's given the opportunity to regenerate um, the land, I mean. And now, with climate change, it doesn't really have that ability. And because there's not enough rain, um, when I was there, it was the rainy season. It should have been raining pretty much all day, every day for months. And it was, there was a lot of rain, but it wasn't anywhere near the level that it should have been. And for areas where farming is the main source of income, that is incredibly damaging to your to your crops. I imagine some of these problems are the same, not just in Ethiopia, but probably all over the world, right? Absolutely, absolutely. This is like one kind of snippet that shows an example of what how climate change affects many uh, rural farmers. But ex- like you said, it's a problem everywhere. Yeah, community radio, um, particularly as like a pedagogical tool. Mm-hmm. Is there a trend towards this? Could it expand? Yeah. I have not seen too much of a trend uh, in it. My, I study development studies here at York, and it's not something I've seen a lot of, but it is something that I think is really a great tool because, like I said, it already is a very popular mode of communication, and it's not like you have to implement a lot more infrastructure to make it work. The, the main thing is just finding people who can translate what you need to communicate and be consistent about getting that message out when it's necessary. But this organization, uh, Farm Radio International, has been doing this for over 40 years, and in that time they've expanded to, I think they're at nine or 10 countries now in Sub-Saharan Africa, and each country has at least three or four different partner programs. And so they're already doing quite a bit, and I think that that type of work can be expanded to a lot of different places, because like I said, it's already in so many areas. What can you say about your master's thesis? So my master's thesis, my research is on the relationship between the practice of photography and development organizations. So it's not exactly uh, what I look at, what I did when I was in Asosa, but what I want to understand is why there is this divide or practice of photography that shows Africa as this very poor and con- um, negative place and how organizations are working or not working to change that. Um, so I'm looking at the way that communications officers at NGOs understand and have policies towards photography. I'm looking at how photographers understand their work, and I'm looking at how people who have been in these photos, how they understand why they're in these photos. Did this trip to Ethiopia contribute to your research? Yeah, so that was why I was in Ethiopia for the for the beginning of it. So I was there for three months this summer, and I did 20 interviews while I was there, and so now I'm just getting started on the process of you know, ruminating on all the data that I've collected and turning that into my thesis this year. What was your big takeaway from the trip, if, if it can be easily summarized? <laughs> if it can be easily summarized, at least for my, my own thesis work, I would say that there's this massive gap between policy and practice in photography. Everyone understands what bad uh, practices of photography are. It seems that people are clearly aware of, you know, these negative depictions of you know, rural Africa and what that means, but it still happens. So they have all of these policies in place, but in the field, there's some sort of disconnect. And that's why we still don't see a whole lot of, you know, storytelling happening. I'm not saying it has to be all positive, but it has to be, you know, more of a holistic picture, I think is where 
photography is slowly, slowly moving towards. I mean, certainly when we see photos from Africa, it's often in the context of, you know, one of those TV ads exactly. trying to kind of uh, uh, guilt you or, yeah. uh, or make you pity and right. donate, you know. Exactly. And those those are the, the things that I'm talking about that are, you know, they've been heavily criticized for many years now, but there is still, uh, there is still a lot of that going on. And so what I'm trying to understand is why is that still happening and where is this disconnect? And I think it is that people understand all the problems of it, but this, this move towards storytelling is not happening very fast. Mm. Helen, thanks so much for coming. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. For more information on the Faculty of Graduate Studies, go to gradstudies.yorku.ca. Thanks for listening.